We've been in a teaching series out of Mark, and uh, I've told you that Mark is the ADHD gospel. Like, Mark can't stay on one thing for more than eight verses, right? Like, he's just flying through everything. Like, if you're looking for deep theological extended teachings of Jesus, not going to get them in Mark. Like, I mean, Mark gives you like a verse at a time, and he uses words like immediately, he uses the word immediately 30 times in 16 chapters. Like he can't sit still, he can't keep, even today, the story we're going to read, he tells a story inside of another story. It's like he gets going on one story and then he's like, oh yeah, I got to tell this, this story too. Like, you know, like he just cannot wait to get it out. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to really be in that center core section of Mark, chapter 5 through about chapter 7. And, and man, I, I've just bitten off way more than I can chew here. So I'm going I'm to try to do this uh, as best I can. This center section of Mark is, is really tagged by, by two questions. The disciples in the boat ask the question, who is this man? And in chapter 8, Jesus is going to ask that same question, who do people say that I am? And right in the middle of that, those big questions about who, who is this man is, is all of these discovery experiences of Jesus. Not a whole lot of teaching, but a whole lot of, of experiences. And uh, if, you, uh, uh, if you like action, Mark is the gospel for you. In this center section, there are storms, beheadings, ghosts, unclean spirits, and miracles. So uh, no chance of getting bored at all. Um, and like I said, he brackets some of these stories like he's so anxious. They're like the stories show up like nesting dolls. Like there's a story here, and then there's another story, then there's another story here. So today, really, I just want to spend, uh, uh, I want to tell you three stories, one within a story and then another story. And uh, so if you ha- open your Bibles, Mark chapter 5, verse 21, that's where we'll begin. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus dropped what he was doing and went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. As we began, I I just want to want to talk about, uh, have you ever been in that moment of like tragedy or trouble or difficulty? And you realize when like tragedy happens, you're, you're like there's this clarity of thought that happens in tragedy, right? Like a, a tragedy or, or disaster happens and you're not like, oh, did I leave the iron on? No, no, you know, like, like all of a sudden you get tunnel vision and you become very clear about everything that's going to happen and what's going to happen next. Uh, there was a time uh, when my daughter was younger, she was with the grandparents in Huntsville, and she fainted, and they put her in an ambulance and took her to the hospital. I got a call from uh, my mother-in-law saying, hey, we don't know what happened. Your daughter's fainted. We, we put her in an ambulance, and we're going to the ER right now. Come as quick as you can. How many of you know how far Huntsville is away from here? So, yeah, I mean, some of you know exactly. Uh, you're, you're commuting there. So... I called Amy, she got in the van. We actually had our son Cannon at that time. And I drove 100 miles per hour down 65. And uh, you guys know, you probably know, if you go south on 65, there's this one spot where this one cop always sits and waits. So I'm going 100, and he pulls up behind me and pulls me over. I actually stop, 
and uh, the cop comes to the car, and I mean, he's ready. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's ready to read me the riot act. He's ready to, and before he can say a word, I said, hey, my daughter's in the hospital. Something's happened. We don't know what's happened. We're just trying to get there. In fact, Amy was on the phone with the hospital in the, in the passenger seat, and, and I said, write me the ticket, and I'm going to keep going. And he didn't know what to say. You know, like I just stole, like he was going to get a good one. You know, and, uh, and he really like, you know, he kind of sized me up. And it, it really only took him about two seconds. And he just said, be careful. And we took off, right? I did slow down a little bit. I did slow down a little bit. And we got there and everything was fine. But, you know, in that moment, like, like I would have done anything, right? Like nothing was going to ride me a ticket. I don't care, right? Like it didn't matter. And, in, and that's exactly where we find Jarius in the story, right? In the same way, he's faced with the death of his own daughter. And what you need to know about Jarius is as, as the leader of the synagogue, I mean, he, he doesn't elaborate a whole lot, but as the leader of the synagogue, he's Mr. Clean, right? He's the respected head of the church and a, probably a, like a respected community leader. You know, he's the president of the HOA. You know, and, and he doesn't, Mark doesn't elaborate a whole lot other than to say that uh, this guy, Jarius, comes and falls at Jesus' feet, which was, was just really um, unseemly, right? The fear of his own daughter's death has, has pushed Jarius into a whole new realm. He risked embarrassment, and he may have even lost face. He falls at the feet of Jesus at this time in, in Scripture. Like, is Jesus not Jesus? Jesus is the super controversial figure, right? Especially in the church. I mean, the church is kind of plotting to kill Jesus. And, and as a community leader who has to protect his synagogue, you know, it would have been incredibly unseemly for him just to come and fall at his feet. But Jarius moves past all of that, right? You see all that? Like, all that is gone. Respect, dignity, what people think. Is he worried about any of that? No, he just falls at Jesus' feet with the, with the ply of help my daughter. And I love this moment because Jesus, although surrounded by crowds of people, stops what he's doing, drops everything and goes with Jarius. Because, I mean, after all, Jarius is a community leader. Like, he's a good guy. He's worthy and deserving of, of help and assistance. And maybe it's hard to see, but this scene becomes incredibly intense and urgent and desperate. It's an anxiety-filled scene, and we're supposed to sit on the edge of our seat, and like, like the question, like right here, the question is, will he get there in time? I imagine Jarius counting every second, right? You know, when you're in that, in that crisis space, you know how time kind of slows down in a second, feels like an hour? I imagine that like if I was Jarius, I would be like nudging Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Like, how can I encourage you to go faster? Was he pushing him or urging him? Was he saying, you know, can we just walk a little bit faster? What about this? Can we take this shortcut up here? How about running? How do you feel about running? Can I carry you? Right? Father, to save his daughter, would do anything. Super anxious. And that's when it happens. 
Have you ever been interrupted at the worst possible moment? Let's read it. Beginning in verse 25, here's what it says. That's when a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. Um, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd only gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. First, she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look, Jesus, there's a crowd of people around you. How can you ask, who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. That's when the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Remember how I told you Mark sometimes tells a story inside of another story? Jerry is super anxious to save his daughter, and then all of a sudden the scene changes to a woman who is the exact opposite of Jarius in every way. Unlike Jarius, who is this love, respected center of the community, this woman, due to the bleeding that she had, would have been ceremonially unclean. You know what that means? The result is that she would have been ostracized. She was flagged. She was targeted. She was bullied. She was isolated from the community. You have the center of the community and somebody outside of the community. The only thing that Jarius and this woman have in common is just desperation. What they share is the need of Jesus' touch. And like Jarius, she risked it all. Uh, it, was, it would be like if I told you today that one of you ha sitting here today has the coronavirus, right? How comfortable would you be? No, but that is not, okay, like that's going to get tweeted out. I already know, like you're, that's not real. But that's how the community would have treated her, right? Like it was that serious, and so what she does, you need to understand the risk of what she does. She does not come uh, just boldly, everybody, I mean, everybody in the community knew who she was, right? But you know that she had to be disguised, right? She comes in disguise. She enters the crowd in disguise. She enters into a crowd of people, which was an incredible no-no. But she doesn't stop there. She actually reaches out and touches another. She touches the hem of Jesus' robe. It's pretty interesting, but Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him. So he does the last thing that Jairus wants him to do, which is what? Yeah. And he says, who touched me? All right, so imagine like that question to Jarius' ears. This is a ridiculous question. 
We're wasting time. We don't have time to stop for these interruptions. But verse 32 says, but Jesus kept on looking around to see who had done it. And the woman comes forward because she can't believe it. Now I want you to picture the scene. I know Mark doesn't elaborate this, but as she comes forward, the disguise that she has been wearing melts away. People begin to recognize who she is and what do they do? Suddenly there's lots of room around Jesus, right? They've backed away because they know she's the unclean one. She's recognized. The crowd falls back. And Jesus uses this incredible tender language. He calls her daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And now, like, if this story ended here, the message, the lesson for us would be, would be about a, um, maybe Jesus is never too busy for our pain. That's an important message, maybe one that you need to hear today. Jesus is never too busy for your pain. So maybe the question is, when was the last time you stopped and recognized the pain of another? This, this next question is going to sting a little bit. Or are you too busy? Is what you're doing more important than the pain of another? Father God, forgive us if we felt that way. Because Jesus gives us an example of someone who is interruptible. I'll self-confess, I hate being interrupted. <laughs> I'm a preacher, I just want to talk. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> there's way too much truth in what I just said there. Sorry. <laughs> I hate being interrupted. But like, like in, in all of the examples of Jesus, you need to pay attention to this one. In all of the busyness and hecticness of your world and your schedule, you need to see that Jesus is interruptible. He's interrupted a couple of times. He's already with a crowd of people when Jairus comes. He's already on a life or death mission with Jairus when he's interrupted again. And what does he do? Jesus is never too busy for our pain. And as Christians, as a church, as our community, like I hate to, I hate to tell you this, but interruptions are part of our business. Like I need you as a Christian, I need you as a follower of Jesus, I need you to be interruptible. When, when there's pain or suffering or struggle, I need your, you to have an extra radar that's paying attention. Because that is the example of Jesus. We just spent a month praying and, and praying, doing Awake in Nashville. Right, I, I love, some of you have been fasting. Some of you fasted from coffee, praise God. Some of you have been on a Daniel fast for 30 days. You know what that's like? Some of you fasted for the very first time. We prayed for 24 hours for our community, for our neighbors. Now, now I say all of that, like don't let that go to waste because now it, we, we must turn it to pay attention to our friends and neighbors in new ways. I love the person that came to me this month and said, 
I never talked to anyone at my work about the Bible or about church or about faith. And three people came up to me and asked me about Jesus recently. Yes. I usher you and beg you to enter into these situations in new ways, right? What you're doing is not more important. We got it? All right, back to the story. Jesus heals this, heals this woman. Whew, awesome, amazing scene, right? It's, it's awesome and epic, but what about Jarius? Look what it says in verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jarius, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Have you ever had to deliver news like this? Have you ever been the one to make the phone call? Have you been with somebody who received news like this? I mean, let's be honest. This is, it, do any of us have a greater fear greater than this? And Jairus is thinking, while he is still wasting his time with this outcast, Jarius' worst fears are realized. Will he get there in time? The answer is no. It's too late. But there's more. Let's read the rest of the story. Verse 36 through 43. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jarius, don't be afraid, just have faith. Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of Jairus, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what had happened. It's interesting to me that Jesus seems incredibly insensitive to the situation. Jairus has just heard that his daughter is dead. And Jesus tells him, why are you so afraid? Just have faith. Can you imagine what that had to feel like to Jairus' ears? I wonder if Jesus ever got punched in the nose. Jesus shows up at the house, and there's an incredible commotion happening. So in that, in that setting, like you would actually hire professional mourners whose job was to cry and well and to make a scene, Right? They would have thrown themselves over the girl's body. Uh, flute playing was a special, I don't know if any of you play the flute. Flute playing was a special part of, of the funeral distress cry. Jesus walks into the middle of a funeral. Imagine. It says, why all the commotion? 
Try that today. What do you, th you think is going to happen to you? It's incredible to me that, that he seems so insensitive until he takes the girl by the hand and to give extra emphasis, Mark records Jesus' actual words. Remember, Mark is recording Peter's eyewitness account. He was right there. Jesus' actual words are these Aramaic words, and he tells this 12-year-old girl to wake up. And she does. The crowd is overwhelmed and amazed. I don't know what Jarius' reaction was. Don't you wish we knew? I don't know what I would do. And it's so crazy important for us to realize a situation that at least in Jarius' mind and everybody else's mind, the situation seemed terminal, right? The situation was unchangeable. The situation was unalterable. The situ like death and taxes, like this is permanent, right? But in Jesus' hands, the situation is no more consequential than waking somebody from a nap. Don't you, don't you tell me that Jesus is just a good teacher. And what I want you to consider just for a moment is your own difficulties, your own challenges. Man, does it, does it feel that way sometimes? Like when we're in the middle of the heat of, of a difficulty or a struggle or a challenge, it feels unchangeable, right? It feels all-consuming, unalterable. It seems permanent. And, and maybe if that's you, I just want you, like the words of Jarius rise off the page. I want, I want what Jesus says to Jarius, I want these words to rise off the page and land on your own heart. You remember what he told him? He says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. One more story. Can I do one more? Fast forward to chapter six. Chapter six, beginning in verse 45. This is partly because I spent all of last week on a boat. So I want to tell you a boat story. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up, Jesus goes up to the hills by himself to pray while the disciples are in the boat. And it says, Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. Distance. But somehow, in the middle of the night, Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. They've already had some storm stories, if you read Mark. At about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. It says he intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a... Is it interesting that even in the storm, they didn't remember or recognize who he was? They were all terrified. And when they saw him, Jesus spoke to them and said, listen to these words. Don't be afraid. Take courage. 
I am here. And he climbed in the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed. Um, I don't really have a great theological exegesis for you. Uh, in fact, the center of Mark really doesn't lend itself to a whole lot of that. Instead, here's what I want to do. Um, because I know some of you, like the disciples, are straining against the oars. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, and, and maybe this make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. And with your eyes closed, I just want you to think about what's your greatest fear. I want you to put that, whatever that greatest fear is, what, whatever that trouble that, that maybe you're facing right now, whatever that difficulty, whatever that struggle is that you're thinking right now, with your, with your eyes closed, I just want you to like put that struggle, put that difficulty in the front of your mind. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you've experienced some sort of job loss. Maybe you're facing bullying. Maybe you have, you've been, been struggling with unhealthy or hurtful thoughts about yourself. Maybe you've experienced some sort of abuse or neglect. Maybe you have a struggle with your kids or a family member. Whatever that difficulty, whatever that struggle, whatever that, that, that thing that you're facing that feels so overwhelming and so unalterable and so terminal and so all-consuming, that thing that keeps you up at night, I just, I just want you to put it right there in the front of your mind. And with you holding it there, with your permission, I, would, I just want to speak Jesus' words over you. You're, you're going to hear my voice, but I want you to hear Jesus, right? I want you to hear Jesus' words speaking into your situation, speaking into your life. And I'm just going to speak two sentences, the two sentences that Jesus spoke and shared. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Father God, I pray that uh, we would have ears to hear these words. That they weren't reserved for, for someone in distress somewhere else. But, but Father God, we remember the story of when the disciples are struggling against the wind and the waves. You're on a mountainside and somehow you see them. Somehow you see the pain. Somehow you see the difficulty and you come to them. And Father God, we know that that's part of your promise. And we know that when we cry out to you, when we call to you, you hear us and you answer and so, Father God, as we face difficulty, as we face challenges, as individuals, may your words sink deeply into us. May these stories be more than just like interesting stories that we kind of go, oh, huh, mm. But may we hear your voice. 
in our own hearts and our own lives. Father, help us to have faith. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to take courage. Help us to remember that we're not alone, that you are here with us. Father God, this is possible because of your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice. Let us drink deeply of your son's presence, even in just a moment as we enter into a time of communion together. Father God, let us put down those things that seem so important. Let us again follow the example of your son, consider the pain of others. Let us be interruptible. God, give us courage. Give us faith. We love you. In your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy time of communion together.